0: Are you tired of playing the same old games over and over again? Are you looking to spice up your game night with creative new ideas? Look no further because we're here to add some excitement back into your game nights. We'll even show you how to take your love of games outside the confines of the living room. We're your hosts, Lauren and
1: Greg, and Friday is game night.
0: Happy Friday, everyone. In
1: this episode, we're joined
0: by a special guest
1: to talk about being a good dungeon master. For the dice roll, we talk elements that kill replayability. We have another virtual escape room, and of course, our Friday favorites.
0: Hey everybody, before we begin the episode, just want to let you know, Lauren and I, we had a great time recording the episode with our friend Matt, who's going to be guesting here, but unfortunately we had a problem with our mic we didn't realize until afterwards when I was doing the editing. So for part of the episode, we're going to sound a little bit uh, lesser quality, but we wanted to keep the conversation with Matt and we weren't able to go back and obviously re-record with him. So please excuse the quality this time, but you'll hear us at our normal levels for the escape room report. Well, Lauren, for this game night, I have a special thing that I'm bringing. I'm bringing our friend Matt from Moral Combat. Say hi, Matt. Hi, everybody. So, Matt, uh, you have been a fan of our show, um, movie Date Night, Friday Game Night, for a while. We actually did a couple of escape rooms with you when you had a chance to visit Southern California. Um, and, yeah, you recently started your new Moral Combat, which Lauren and I are also guesting on.
2: Yes. Um, yeah, we just we just started up, uh, gosh, it's been about two months now, actually. the uh, we. We basically take um, topics uh, and create tournaments surrounding that particular topic. Uh, we started with the Pixar Villain Punch-Out, where we debated and had our listeners vote on who is the best Pixar villain. And we've moved on to what is proving to be an even more popular topic, which is the uh, 2000 eras sitcoms. So 2000 to 2009 sitcoms, 30 minute sitcoms. And um, we're having a lot. Of, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I, I hope you guys are too. Um, but I mean, if there's one correction that I can make, you guys aren't guesting on there. You guys are straight up co-hosts. Like you guys you guys helped launch this thing with me. And I just got to tell you, I'm having a blast with it. I'm having a blast with our group. And it's it's quite possibly some of the most fun I've had a long time doing this.
1: It's definitely a fun uh, quarantine distraction too. And I think it is for the the audience as well. I think what's so interesting about it too is because unlike a lot of podcasts where they just debate and then they pick a winner, we don't pick the winner our audience does and we don't control what our audience does. And they are definitely yeah. surprising us. I mean, especially right now, if anyone is paying attention to our TV uh, face off, I mean, they're we pretty much know like, okay, Friends is gonna win and our audience isn't necessarily doing that. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the wonderful, fantastic arguments I made for the Pixar punch out, uh, some of my guys, who I clearly won those arguments amongst us of the group, like did not move on because the audience didn't vote for that.
2: <laughs> Respectfully disagree, but that's not the point.
0: <laughs> We're not here to argue about that. How about you, Lord? What are you bringing to game nights?
1: Um. Well, in this time of social distancing and needing to keep each one another safe, um, we are, of course, like many people, um, investing in lots of masks, and it's always a challenge to find a mask that is. Both um, comfortable and um, works properly, and you know, for us too, being that we're in Southern California where it's getting very hot right now, that's it's difficult to find a mask that's not you know making you sweat all the time, but is still effective. But also, you know, you want your mask to be pretty, and if you've been following us on Instagram, you know that I was able to get us a couple um, fun masks that show our personality. Um, we have got some ones with dice on them. We've got the one with the Dice Meteor about to kill the dinosaur. (laughs) That one makes me
0: smile and sad at the same time.
1: (laughs) But I think it's just, you know, we we all have to do this, but why not do it with a little fun, you know? like Wearing a mask is important for keeping each other safe, but we might as well have some fun with it and show our personalities. And right now, there's no shortage of people making and selling masks, and you can find them in anything that you're interested in. Um, So, you know, really go out there and maybe find something that shows your personality, because... You know, we can't can't see one another smile right now, but we can at least show that we're fun-loving
0: and, you know, show our personality through our masks.
2: I smile with my eyes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The quote of the Dread Pirate Roberts, I think masks are terribly comfortable. I think everyone in the future will be wearing one.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, not everyone, apparently.
0: (laughs) That's a whole another story. Yeah. (laughs) But for today, our main topic, um, we recently have been going back to do some more role playing mm-hmm. through Skype meetings, you know, because um, as you said before, uh, it's fun to do that. But sometimes uh, other people don't have the equipment that they need. But like in one of our last episodes, we talked about ways in which you can still have them play. But I wanted to recap and revisit, especially since we have our guest Matt here, who is himself a DM um, and has been on several other um Dungeons and Dragons uh podcasts and YouTube series I think they would be called uh to help us get some more tips and tricks for how to be a good DM and uh how to create a fun game for people to enjoy so um right off the bat Matt um tell us about your kind of resume for dungeon mastering
2: sure um so I I've run a few games um through the 5e series uh but the the Biggest one that I kind of started started with uh, from the ground up. I'm not doing it anymore. I didn't get a chance to get live with them, but I was running um, some some games for a Twitch stream called Dragon Humpers. Um, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a it was a a group of a group of folks. One of them is uh, who we spotlighted last week on um, Mortal Kombat. Uh, Laura Sullivan, and she is one of the players in that group, and uh, had me audition for them to be a DM, and it it was a lot of fun. That was probably uh, the most fun I've had DMing. I just I couldn't really commit to it at the time. Um, I've run a lot of games for just some friends, some introduction games for people who have never played before, a couple of like dungeon crawls, um, a couple of uh, a couple of games where we took like the lost minds of Fandelver and turned it into just silly stuff with things that I can't say on this podcast. Um, the, I think the most fun I've had outside of the five E was I ran a mutants and mastermind game, um, for my, for a set of friends where we were all superheroes. Uh, so that was, a, that was a good one too. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I haven't done a lot of extensive DMing. Um, I just, I, I fill in here and there for when when we're needed, um, and now I'm even a part of a kind of a uh, kind of an adventures guild um, game where people can play players or DMs. So I'm working up some items that I'm gonna be doing for DMing for them as well.
1: And of course, you're also a you know a big escape room fan, and there is kind of a, an element of that when people run escape rooms in kind of controlling players, revealing hints, um, you know building the story so you've kind of seen like that side too right
2: yeah um that is actually where so a lot of my dming style uh revolves around the idea of this uh kind of mixing escape rooms and um like zelda the puzzles is really where i feel like i thrive a lot like i'm good with battle i can make those things happen i'm not the best at building a story but i can make some really cool puzzles within the world and um every one of the games that i've played i've always involved uh one of the big reveals having to do with puzzles um so yeah escape rooms has had a big a big part uh, on uh, on my particular um inspiration for this and it helps lead directly into into story building too because it allows the players uh, themselves to really showcase their characteristics of their character, whether they're intelligent or whether they just wanna, you know, pound on the block until it fits into the circle square. Like it's (laughs) it it really gives a chance for the for those kinds of things to happen organically within the puzzle puzzle area. And then based on what how they interact with it, you can either reward them or give them a bigger challenge at the end of it, depending what they do with your puzzles.
0: Now for people who are just getting into role playing, uh I I have my opinion, but I want to get your opinion first. Do you think it'd be better if it's someone's first time uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons? Should they do try to do like a one-shot adventure, which is like, we're going to do this one thing done? Or should they start off with the story, like how you mentioned the lost mindset of Fenaria?
2: I will say that it depends on on the player. If you're someone who is new to role-playing games, and you just want to get a taste for it and see how it feels, I play one shot. Uh, that's actually how I got one of the, one of the smaller games that I was running going, uh, and actually led to a couple other games where I was a player. Was because I had people over at my house um, a couple of years back for uh, for just like a party, and I had a bunch of pre made character sheets lying around, and I told them I was like, hey, you know, you guys want to you guys want to play a quick quick round? And they're like, sure. What do we do? I said, like, these are your character sheets. Um, I'm just gonna put you guys into you know, basically a giant boss room and throw a bunch of throw a bunch of enemies at you, and they all started playing their characters and rolling dice, and they got used to it, and they really liked it. So that led to the customized Lost Minds of Fandelver. It led to another game where I was playing a a rogue for a little while, and one of the one of the guys from that game became a huge fan of RPGs and has been playing at like local tabletop um, cafes when they're open now. Um, but yeah, it it just depends on the player, I think. It's easier if you give them something pre-made right off the bat and then give them the option to put something together with their own flavor um,
0: after that. Right. I, I definitely agree there. I think it's better to do a pre-made thing to start.
2: I think
1: uh, that's kind of how you introduced me to um, Dungeons & Dragons as well. Is, you, know, you had invited me to your group, but you were like, here, let's go run through kind of a, a one-shot just to get you used to what you're going to be doing and know what you expect. Fact.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then and also one of the nice things is um when we did it, it was just me and you and you were just kind of the dungeon master giving me the but it let me not so much worry about what others were doing and if I was making wrong decisions or you know, I was just mm-hmm. me. So it kind of let me get a little bit more into the story and understand you know, just kind of fend for myself a little bit and not have the pressures of, you know, fitting in with the group
0: kind of. (laughs) Yeah, because I was going to say, that's what I do whenever Mm -hmm. I have a new player. If if I can help it, I like to try to isolate that player and just have a more private session where Mm -hmm. I just do a one-shot with them. I'll maybe ask them a few questions at the beginning of like to kind of get a sense of what kind of character they would want to play. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to hate playing a wizard, I'm not going to make you play a wizard you know but so like i ask things like you know would you wrap like here an enemy's in front of you how do you think you would attack it with a bow with an axe or would you cast a fireball at it you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but yeah because a lot of people i think when they first are trying to get into role playing they're embarrassed about i don't know how this works exactly i don't know what i can do is it stupid of me to ask this question Mm -hmm. you know things like that
1: i mean that's i mean that can be the same i think for a lot of different games not just Role playing games, but role playing games they do have kind of like, you know, which dice do I roll? Which stat is that? You know, there's a there can be a lot more that goes into them depending on how you're playing. Um, I think you know, since we're talking about being kind of being a better DM as well, um. One of the big things I think that, you know, you were mentioning kind of the reason we decided to do this episode is because the last time we were talking about role playing, we started getting into how you've kind of had some realizations over the years of DMing on things you want to do differently and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, And I think a big one is, you know, kind of having to, I don't want to say corral your players, but work with them in a way that it keeps the story moving and stuff. How, How do you kind of achieve that?
0: Last night, we actually played a game mm-hmm. uh, where we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Animals, because I let you guys not be be anything besides turtles, <laughs> you know, um, and that was part of that, too. And yeah, I was trying to be more free form, just, you know, I put a basic situation in front of you guys, and I let you have at it, because mm-hmm. in my experience... Uh, whenever I've taken agonizing hours and, like, entire weeks to plan out every meticulous detail and backstory about things, mm-hmm. you guys just seem roll right over that and don't care. <laughs> or you'll go in the opposite direction, like, oh, that castle's not interesting. Let's go check out this pig farmer. <laughs> pig farmer seems interesting.
2: Select all, delete. <laughs> right.
0: How about you, Matt? How's your... Um, what's your take about, like, how much to plan ahead of time versus just freeform it?
2: So the first game I ever planned, I planned every meticulous detail I had. And um, it just it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Um, I, it, I did hit a few points, but what I realized is that the best approach for DMing is to prepare for the story, but expect your players to veer off towards whatever shiny thing you put in front of them because they're going to. Um, mm-hmm. And don't put too much emphasis on having this entire story already pre-built the the idea for me for dungeons and dragons as a dm and sometimes as a player depending on what the goals are but i usually try and set forth with my players that what we are doing is basically collaborative storytelling i have an idea of where things might go or should go but at the end of the day just like when on our other podcast where we argue and we think how it should go it's not up to me it's really up to the players and what they want to do um so I kind of have um, some loose strings for each area that, I, that I've that i introduced to the players so that if they want to explore it, it's concrete enough that I can uh, turn it into a hook, but it's vague enough that if they don't want to do anything with it, it's not something that be, that is just jumping at them because that they need to do it.
0: And I think the main thing that most dungeon masters run into is at the beginning is the communication with the players about how much they need to stick to what's being put in front of them or not. Because for me, I was unknowingly playing advanced Dungeons & Dragons where I wanted to follow every single rule that's in the book and not realizing that, oh, no, these are more suggestions and guidelines rather than hard-set rules of what right. you can and cannot use, you know? So I would try to be going through this whole, like, PDF of, like, oh, we're going to go here, then they should talk to this person and then the witch in the bog, and then she'll give them this. But you guys aren't don't know that story Mm -hmm. as I do ahead of time so you're being sidetracked by all these different things and then I'm like no you're you're going off off the story script you know like what are you guys doing but you don't have the script in front of you Mm -hmm. so I think it's definitely important to let people know like okay we're gonna go free reign you guys can be creative here or like really like let them know I want to play strictly by the rules like I'm going to guide you and you guys just have to go along with it.
1: Yeah, I think and I think that probably works differently with different players mm-hmm. and different levels of how enthusiastic they are about Dungeons and Dragons. Right. You know what I mean? Um I think there's an element of improv to it as well, where it's kind of almost like the yes and mm-hmm. where like you said, you had told me recently that um you've kind of gotten to the point too where you don't really say no you just take what they say and like roll with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of like, even like last night when we were playing, you know, there were choices that people were making and maybe even failing at it, but you were sort of then just adapting to what they were doing and going with it. Like you mentioned um, at one point I made an attack Mm -hmm. and it didn't go right for me, but you had me um, then knocked over into this other area where there was something new for me to discover. Right. So that then you kind of pointed me in the right direction a little bit, or at least in a new, interesting direction.
0: Yeah, so that on your next turn you can say, I pick up this fancy doodad. What does it do? Let's find out. Yeah, or
1: not. But you know, you kind of knew, okay, well, chances are if I push her in this direction, she's going to be like, ooh, what's this? (laughs) Yeah,
0: because long story short, um, and this is an original creation of mine, so I don't care if people use it or not, but you guys were Teenage Mutant Ninja Animals invading a video game corporation to steal the latest edition of Crawling Hamburgers 5 (laughs) a week before it launches because you just couldn't wait anymore. You go into the sub, sub, sub basement and you find out there's actual mutated, genetically engineered crawling hamburgers that are like the size of St. Bernard's that are attacking you. You got knocked into this station that was labeled like energy weapons research.
1: (laughs) And the only the only thing that kind of was a shame is by the time it got to my next turn, because, of course, as soon as you did that, I'm like, what's an energy weapon? And I was already preparing in my head. I pick up energy weapon and aim it, you know, and say, you know. We'll see what happens, um, but then they they defeated it, so I wasn't able to use it. But like that was going to be my next
0: thing. So how about you, Matt? How do you deal with um, maintaining the fun with players when they fail something?
2: So this was one of the biggest hurdles that I had when I was um, DMing for the Twitch stream. In which, how do you, how do you make it fun when somebody fails? Right, because it's not mm-hmm. necessarily about punishing your players; it's about um kind of reframing what they're trying to do uh, for example, at one point in time I had my players walking down they they got the choice of to get to their destination they had a choice of two different paths right and at, at no point in time do those paths intersect it was two basically completely separate routes and when they got to the end of one of the routes I had them roll um, I had them roll for for basically some they, one of them set off a trap and the entire end of the canyon became blocked with a uh with with a uh with a rock slide so i didn't necessarily punish them in a way that was like hey you're now your guy is hurt and trapped under the rocks no you have to turn back around and go back all the way back up to town that you were in and take the other path to get back down to this place that you were supposed to go originally and the entire time that they were doing it i had i was playing um the gods above laughing at them making fun of them for their bad luck
0: (laughs) i kind of like that but yeah it's it's not just saying no though you're you still gave them an option some kind of a choice to get around even if it didn't work out it's just oh now we're bummed that okay now we have to walk all the way around again but you also have to remember in role playing that just means two more senses you know like in terms of the actual players that's nothing that's a minor inconvenience at best but like if people really role playing, they might be like, "Oh, but like my character's getting fatigued or something." But you know, right? It depends on how heavy you want to get into the actual details of it all.
2: Yeah, and you might even look at it in a way as like um, if they fail at a certain critical point it goes from being an easy adventure to a medium level difficulty adventure, right? Because like now they have to walk back through after they fought their way through the first canyon, but now they have to go back and fight their way through two canyons instead of one to make it to their original destination. So it's not necessarily punishing them in a direct manner of, of taking away hit points or anything like that, it just makes it a little more challenging for
0: them. And then I think another important question that some DMs might have trouble with is, how do you wrap up a session? Because sometimes it like drags on and on, and like you might be in the middle of a fight, mm-hmm. and like you can you can kind of look ahead, and especially if some players are more meticulous with their choices or not, for like ooh, which spell do I want to use, you know, and they're taking a while. How how do you like to put a button on the session because you know it's nine thirty and people got to start getting home?
2: Yeah, that's that's tough, man. Because you know I I've always been. I've always been a player in that sense. When it's time to start buttoning things up, um, from a DM perspective, you know we usually got to a, a point, and um, it's it's really tough. But my main rule of thumb is you don't want to basically quit in the middle of a battle. Um, it might take a little bit more time, but if you're if you're good with your time management, you can understand that. Um, if it's getting close to that witching hour, uh, maybe you don't start the next battle. Maybe you just kind of have them rest and introduce this idea of exploring around this room because the door is locked, or you know, if you're in a dungeon, there's a there's a timer that that there's a time lock or something along those lines that doesn't allow them to move forward. Put a stopping point because you you know what's coming up next. Um, you know what the the possibilities are whether it's going to be they're just going to walk into this next room and they're going to find the treasure or they're going to walk into this next room and six hobgoblins are going to drop down from the roof and attack them. Like, y- you kind of get the idea. So my thing is know when you're getting close and start planning ahead of time for when you're going to cut it off and get ideas of how you're going to cut it off before you get there. Don't do that on the spot cuz then that can get a little rough.
1: Um I mean I think definitely being the DM, you know, you have to remember you're kind of in control so you can you can kind of fudge numbers a little bit if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um you can also, you know, maybe maybe the event would uh result in, you know, a bunch of more um villains jumping out and you can kind of okay, well, no, this was all of them, you right. know, things like that. I mean, I think it's good to kind of have your sessions a little bit bite size in some ways, because I think player fatigue can't, you know, I mean, some people, some people are hardcore, they'll, they'll play for hours, but you know, your, your average game night group isn't going to probably do that. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of think of, of offering it up in, you know, measurable meal size bites a little bit. Um, so I think it's important to kind of plan out your campaign with that in mind, think about what might take long, but also you, once again, you can't really control your your players that much. So there could be something really simple that you would think they'd breeze through and they're going to spend an hour on it. Right. <laughs> so, right. you, you know, I think it's all about just being flexible. I mean, I, I think being a DM, I've only done it once and it's definitely not easy. It's it's hard work. And the problem is I don't think you. it's hard to, you can learn as you go and you can improve but at the sake of players and at the sake of people maybe not wanting to play with you again. So it's definitely something that you have to kind of hone and maybe work on ahead of time um, on your own to kind of figure out how you're going to be flexible and how you're going to um, present the story and just kind of, you know, remembering that it's all about having fun and not really sticking necessarily to the rules.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. And I mean, I even had it be where some deus ex machina sweeps in and just ends all the fight for you mm-hmm. you know i mean it was never a sense of like suddenly the goblin has a heart attack because little did you know he's actually old age and didn't take his medication for the day like you know <laughs> it's nothing like that but like maybe like the white knight comes scalping in and slices a few heads off as he you know helps you finish the battle or the last goblin says like okay that's it i've had enough i'm just leaving you know he, he will just run
1: I mean, and I think if, unless you're doing obviously a one shot, but if you're doing something that is a campaign, but you have to like split mm-hmm. up into little bite sized game night size bits, yeah. having something that kind of ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger exactly. makes it more exciting to come back, yeah. you know? Whereas if you just are like, okay, well, we finished this battle and now you're camping. Okay, well, next game night, if you're going to ask me, okay, do you want to play D&D or something else? I might be like, eh, right. you know? But if you ended it on some crazy cliffhanger, I'm like, okay, well, I want to see what, what happens next. Right. Um, the the other thing I think is for me one of the reasons that I really liked D and D or role playing is it reminded me of playing a video game without programming rules, mm-hmm. without like you know the video game I'm playing right now the character can't climb really, and that frustrates me sometimes because I'm used to other games where my character can climb.
0: He also has trouble picking things up from the table specifically. He does,
1: and it drives me insane. Um, but you know, like that's the that's the beauty of role playing is. I'm not constrained by what they were able to program into the game. I am only constrained by my imagination yeah. and by what the DM lets me do. So that's the other thing is that's kind of the beauty and freedom of D&D. So if you're the game master, don't limit that. Because I know for me, that's a big draw to why I like to play it.
2: And going back to what you're talking about with the cliffhangers, like one of the ones that I have actually used that I think was really effective and fun, because you said it, like you hit the camp and campsite and you're like, oh, you wanna play again? Eh, I don't know. Um, a group of of my players had an npc with them that was helping them along the way right um and he was just kind of a uh an aloof kind of goofy guy nothing really to offer other than he kind of knew the area and was very confident about how he knew the area and then like at the end of a session uh they had just completed a battle and i made him walk through a door and like he turns around and looks at the group and was, was basically like, see, I told you I knew where everything was. And like immediately 10 guys surround him spears drawn on him. And I end the session right there to figure out what they want to do next. Like just put something into their minds about why they want to come back later to
0: finish whatever just started. Yeah. And I mean, just to wrap it up, um, last night when we were doing the ninja turtle thing you know your guys's main mission was complete you had the copy of the game but i also introduced the idea of oh these guys are making mutants in here like do you want to investigate that and you guys were like no, we want to go home and play the game now. Like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so this could have been a campaign, but we chose to make it a one-stop. That's fine. Like, we're
2: teenagers. What do you want? <laughs> yeah.
0: We're teenagers. We already had a fight. We went through hell to get to this game. We're we're going home and playing it. I mean, that's
1: we <laughs> So now we should probably just cut our losses and get out.
0: <laughs> yeah, your very first attempt at going in stealth and just avoiding security cameras and jumping to the fire escape, you f- tripped in the parking lot. Yeah. Like, oh,
1: yeah. It might have been slow. Greg was not only making me use a dice tower, which anyone who's played games with me know, I'm usually pretty spot on with my dice roll.
0: That's why I made you use the dice tower, because also- I, <laughs> I think you practiced your, your wrist movements or something. <laughs> but yeah, so I think overall, uh, the lessons are keep the story flowing, you know, be prepared to stop and like, yeah, be creative. Know your players, understand what their play style and desires are. You know, mm-hmm. some people don't want to do the super detailed story. They want to play more Money Python than, you know, Excalibur you know, in terms of like an Arthur story. And just, you know, the point of it is to have fun. But I would definitely say for anyone starting out, like how uh, you have, you guys alluded to, have smaller sessions, mm-hmm. plan it only to be half an hour to an hour and then build from there.
1: The thing is nowadays, I mean, there's so many videos and Twitch streams and everything else. You can really go and look at what other people are doing and kind of figure out, oh, I like when they do this, or I like how they presented this, or I like how they adapted to this. Mm -hmm. So I think there's resources out there for people wanting to start being a
0: dungeon master. Speaking of rolling dice and how you did so terribly last night, (laughs) let's go on to our dice roll segment. (laughs) So for this dice roll segment, we're going to talk about board games now. And, you know, One thing that's important for board games is its replayability. How often are you willing to go back to the same game over and over again? Because otherwise, I I spent 60 bucks and we played it once, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to talk about what we think kills a game's replayability. So, um, first of all, one thing I think kills a game's replayability is having too much time that needs to be dedicated to just setting up the thing. Yes, for sure.
1: That's definitely for me. And hand in hand with that too much to set up and maybe too much to clean up yeah that's the other thing like when you just have like an entire table taken up by all these little fiddly pieces just the idea of oh i need to go set that up like uh, do i really want to play Mm -hmm. this
2: uh, yeah, absolutely. So my game nights are much different than what you guys are having, because my game nights involve a seven and a five year old. So when my kids go, hey, you want to play Candyland? Or do you want to play Mousetrap? I go Candyland, please. I don't feel like setting up Mousetrap and having everything go all over the floor.
0: I mean, yeah, it, it definitely takes a while to set up things like that. Um, One of my favorite games I've been playing lately has been that legendary uh, James Bond card game. But the problem is that like, there's so many different decks in that game. So many cards. And you have to separate them all out at the end. So just to set up the game properly, because also I have sleeves in my cards and I don't want to like bend them. I want to keep them pristine. So just to set up a game takes me about 20 minutes.
1: Well, and I think for me, that one too, just seeing you try to sleeve all of them and constantly be like, oh man, I ran out of sleeves. We have to go buy more. (laughs) I think that tells you how many cards are in this game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I want to sleeve all my games, but that it's a lot of money and time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it
1: does make it hard to shuffle them. I think it's it's good for certain games where um, there there's a lot of cards, but like maybe you don't have to do as much shuffling. Like I would never, I would never sleeve um or take the ride. Yeah. Even though those get kind of grungy, like it's just it's a lot of cards and a lot of constant shuffling. Mm-hmm. But like we sleeved clank and you know things like that, where maybe you don't have to shuffle quite as much. Right. My, buddy, um, my
2: buddy got Gloomhaven and he sleeved the entire thing. That was a that was a big oh man, big deal. yeah. I that's think, a huge box too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think the first game that like right away that idea of too much mm-hmm. to set up um, and it, so it, it immediately turned me off was Firefly.
0: Yeah. That one has like twelve different decks. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just seeing the the scope of it, I was just like, oh, this is way too much. But I think that it also Firefly takes us into kind of the other thing that kills replayability. And that is too much to track. Mm
2: -hmm. When
1: I was first explained what to do in Firefly, I it just went completely over. Your mind placed
0: over immediately. Yeah, I was just like I could see it in your eyes. "Are, Are
1: you sure you guys want to play this? (laughs)
0: <laughs> i mean for me i think also too much to track even though they're they can be really cool game mechanics you know mm-hmm. like if there's if there's rules upon rules and they affect each other directly like that that could be a problem like one of my favorite games for like just how it's designed is the world of smog on her majesty's service mm-hmm. which is kind of the steampunky fantasy game where it actually has like cogs that turn on the board
1: yeah it's it's a like the board alone we've taken this to a couple gaming events like um tabletop day mm-hmm. and we've even played it at dice tower con yeah and the board never fails to bring people over saying what is that i, I want to see that because right. because it's such an interesting design with the cogs that move mm-hmm. and
0: stuff but well, the problem is you have to keep track of like which way the cogs attorney where you're at can you go in this direction mm-hmm. plus also there's these like non-player characters that come out and mess with the game and it's like Rules are constantly rotating in and out of that yeah. game. Kind of like how the gears of a clock keep turning. It's a little difficult to like mentally track like all of what's going on. And I hate being the guy who's like, sorry, but you can't do that because it's actually kind of going to cost you four pieces, not just one. Yeah. Based on the way the gears turn, you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's a competitive game. So you got to like stick to the rules, but like it's a lot to manage and like mentally, you know, sore through
1: well, it's also, um, I would say that certain games too, that maybe they aren't necessarily a lot to track, but they are a lot to track if you have um, maybe too many players. Like for instance, I do like Villainous, mm-hmm. but if you have Villainous with, weight, with a lot of players, it's a lot of work to track not only your goals, which are completely unique to your character, but also the completely unique goals of the people who are going against you. Because you're not only are you trying to meet your goals, you're trying to slow them down or stop them mm-hmm. from meeting their goals, and that can become a lot, especially the more players you add in. Right. So, like, I usually, if I do play villainous, I want to play it more um, as a two-player or maybe a three-player at most. Yeah.
2: I think for me, the thing that can also kill replayability is not just the you mentioned setup and cleanup but the amount of time a game can take as well because um yeah it, it's difficult to commit based on how busy life can be to a game that may take four hours. Like if if my friends called me right now and said, Hey, do you want to come over and play diplomacy? It'd be a hard pass. Like I can't I can't do it today. <laughs> I don't have seven hours available to be able to go sit down and play this. Uh, but if they called me and they were like, Hey do you want to come over and play Zombicide? I'd come over and play Zombicide. That's a great game. It only takes maybe an hour. It depends on how many rounds you want to play. But it, it really it's an it's an investment on time that I think can also kill replayability. It's one of the reasons why I had such trouble going back to play gloomhaven again was because even though it's a legacy game and we were like building a story as we were going each session took two to three maybe sometimes four hours and if we failed by the end of this, by the end of each scenario um I, I didn't even want to come back and try again because it was going to take another four hours
0: yeah I mean we had the similar kind of thing with the uh, pandemic legacy where like each mm-hmm. session takes longer than a normal game session would take. And in each session for like each month, you have two chances to complete the month and like uh-huh. succeed. But if we failed one, we'd be like, ah, now we got to do that, that game all over again.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, and also just the additional things that would add on. So we would, you know, because we kind of talked about, okay, it's set up, right? There was mm-hmm. a lot to set up. But then you were like, okay, so for this game, we need to open these things and we need to do this and we need to add these rules in. So we have to remember them. So it was kind of almost a combination of all these things, right? Yeah. Where it was a lot to set up. It was a lot to track but also it was, um, it made it take a lot longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's also like, we love time stories, but time stories, like that's going to be your only game for the night. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to just strap into that game and give it the time. And I think, you know, time stories in particular, I know what frustrates some people is the idea of, you're going to fail and you just need to accept that. You're going to fail your first time. I think maybe there was only once that we actually got through all of time stories in one round and that was just sort of by accident. Done
0: luck, yeah. Yeah,
1: but normally you're going to, you know, it's going to take you at least two plays, if not more, because the game is designed for that. That's the whole purpose of the game. But, you know, once again, it's going to take. that means it's going to take a long time. So you're going to have to devote time to that. And that can be, you know, as much as we want to play it sometimes, we we'll are definitely sometimes look at it and go, do we really want to invest our entire night in this? Right. <laughs> I mean,
0: one game I've had my eye on for the longest time of interested in, but never had the courage to actually get it is Twilight Imperium. And one of the reasons why is because... The learn to play video alone is half an hour long. Like just to learn how to go over, like, here's how this rule works. Mm -hmm. Half an hour of that. How long is this game itself going to take? And like, how long am I going to take to actually learn this? Because I'm going to have to watch this video multiple times to fully like master and understand and remember all this. So as much as that looks like a fun game, like, I don't think I would ever have the time Mm -hmm. to be able to break that out, you know? And I don't, I've once before played a game of Risk where we had to stop halfway through because something came up and my friend Andy had to go. Mm-hmm. So we tried to like take pictures of like the board and afterwards I would go and write down, okay, he had this many in this country, whatever, whatever. But like, it's hard to go back into a long game like that once you step away. Mm-hmm. Because your momentum of your excitement for that session is kind of gone, you know, mm-hmm. so it's hard to step back into it. So yeah.
1: I think another one and I think Matt you'll probably have an interesting take on this being that you probably play with a lot younger players than we do. Um but the the games that are difficult to defeat where you maybe you lose a lot. I think that can get kind of that can wear on you after time after a while and you're like, "Uh, do we really want to play this? We always lose." <laughs> and I'm sure for kids that's probably a hard one too because I think kids will get more frustrated with a game that they can't win at
2: so i i actually i mean i agree with the with the idea that it's more frustrating for them but as a parent i think it's a wonderful tool to be quite honest because it's never too early to to teach kids that just because you lose at a game you don't actually lose until you quit right like you can try and try try again but yeah we we don't play too many games like that around around here just because um the kids aren't really interested in that uh, the kids right now actually the mo- the one they're most interested in playing is amazing tales which is like a kid's version of um uh, D. so we'll mm-hmm. go that.
0: that's good yeah i mean there's other versions of uh some games that i love like i love deck drafting games. Mm-hmm. you know though that's kind of my number one um genre right now but one that i just cannot like really get the heart to go back and play too often is the big book of madness because that one, it starts kicking your butt from round one. Yeah. And, like, just the time it takes for you to draft up your deck so you can even have a chance to fight these monsters, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm.
1: We've had to, like, come up with all these house rules in order to just, like, you have, have, a, have chance. a chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I think we've gotten really good at some of the pandemic games, but definitely some of them really kick your butt, too. So Yeah,
0: there's one that we've only done, like, three or four times. And that was the um, the game alternative version that's the bioterrorist. I forget what the expansion, I think it's on the brink that it comes in. And essentially it's, you're playing two games at once. You're playing both Pandemic and you're playing Scotland Yard where you're trying to track another player's movements and capture him. Mm-hmm. But the problem is even in that game, once you capture him, you just make it so he doesn't spread a few more disease cubes that turn. Mm-hmm. But then he'll just be back the next turn. So <laughs> like what's really the point even capturing him, you know? so. It's like a hat on a hat, and it's difficult and awkward, and it's just, uh, I don't feel like doing this. You know? <laughs> Have you ever had a game, Matt, that you just felt yourself as an adult was too difficult to go back to?
2: I had a chance to digitally play Sherlock Holmes. And while I love mystery games like that, mm-hmm. uh, this was, I mean, Beyond difficult, <laughs> because it was just very intricate. You had a whole map of London, and just oh my goodness, it was very, it was very difficult to keep up with. And it was it was a lot like Clue, but like exponentially more difficult than Clue. Um, Is that the
0: uh, consulting detective one?
2: I believe so. Yeah, I okay, it, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't my copy. It was a it was one that that my friend um, had put together for us, and we were playing over. Um, I think it was Discord, so it was. Hmm. Yeah, it was quite the uh quite the adventure on that one. But I, I I feel like I'd give it a try again at some point now that I'm at a uh, a point where I'm I do have a lot of time technically speaking, but yeah, it was very it was very difficult.
0: But yeah, so I think those are some um, reasons why we don't revisit certain games mm-hmm. all the time, you know. Not that there are bad games in any way, but it's just it, it makes me hesitate my hand towards them when mm-hmm. people are coming over and like, do I want this one or do I want that one? You know, yeah. uh, maybe I'll I'll skip Risk this time and go for, you know, something safer like Sushi Go, rather, mm-hmm. you know.
2: <laughs> What's your guys' uh, genre for most replayable?
0: I would probably say, based upon our group, our genre for most replayable would be just the basic party game of, like, you know, Cards Against Humanity-esque. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, one person is the judge and the other people put in their options. Like, because we have that for Cards Against Humanity, we have that for Super Fight. You know, oh,
1: Red Flags, uh, another really big one that we have, it's actually, um, strangely enough, a game that we were given to review that's become like one of our group's favorites. Of course, it's not very fair to Greg and I because we're not artists and our other two friends oh, are worry. artists. Uh, but we have a game called uh, Laugh which is um, a drawing game. Um, and that one gets requested a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I think for my group um we usually end up with social deduction games like um there's an italian card game called bang that we we like to play a lot and then uh the resistance uh those are the ones that get requested the most just because they're it, it's you're playing with and against each other all at the same time and they're shorter they they're not you know, two hour long games, you can play them in 30 minutes and get another round in or go to something else.
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, the sort of simple, especially on game nights, because you know, obviously Fridays were our major game nights, and a lot of people had, you know, still come from work and things like that. Um, I think kind of those standby simple games that they didn't have to put a ton of thought into, like maybe a ticket to ride or something like that, where you know, the rules are fairly simple. There is strategy behind it, but nothing too difficult. It's kind of light. Um, those kind of come more into play with our game group just because of, you know, people being tired from work and stuff like that <laughs> and not having the mental
2: capacity. Meanwhile,
0: I always want to break up the most mentally taxing. Yeah. Be like, guys, let's create our own world from ground up. Yeah. Terraforming Mars, let's do it. Let's do it, yeah, buddy. All right, let's move on to our escape room report section. Unfortunately, our friend Matt was not able to join us for this section. So he'll be back with us at the Friday Favorites section at the end of the episode.
1: So we're still, you know, having to do escape rooms remotely. Things were starting to open back up and we were hoping that maybe soon we would be doing it real live escape room, but um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. No,
0: I was sad.
1: Yeah, things are starting to shut down again here in California. Um, but we're actually early on um, when all everything started shutting down. The Escape Game, which is a escape room company that has many locations, they had advertised that they were doing a virtual from home escape room that basically you could download and play at any time. Mm-hmm. And it was only $10. Not a bad deal. I just said, you know what? I don't care what it's like. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. You know, if nothing else for research purposes, Mm -hmm. I will buy this. So I bought it. They sent me all the the code and everything, and then it just sort of sat in my email for a while. You know, Um, so we finally, you know, decided let's pull that out and let's give it a try. And what's interesting is unbeknownst to me, this was from the escape game, which just happens to be who we did our last virtual escape room with.
0: Where well, we did the um, museum heist. Right? Yeah, we
1: did the museum heist. Um, and I didn't even put two and two together that they were the same companies. And, of course, that one was a live... I mean, it was virtual, but it was a live thing where right. we all showed up on, like, um, Zoom with our friends. And they were we were going through an avatar situation where... One of the people who worked there was our our hands and eyes in the room. So he could do the things that we told him to do and manipulate the puzzles how we told him.
0: Codename Agent Starscream, as I named him.
1: <laughs> and even more um, coincidental, it just happens, the um, this virtual escape room that I had purchased is called The Heist Volume 1. And it's kind of a continuation of the escape room that we had done. Mm-hmm. We Somehow, without even trying, I ended up purchasing us um, the continuation of a escape room that we would do at a later date. <laughs> right. And
0: it's kind of weird because it is volume one, mm-hmm. but it's technically a continuation of the room that we did, but I guess they didn't want to call it volume two because people online would be like, wait, did I miss volume one? Well, yeah, because or... you,
1: don't, you don't need to have done the other one to understand anything about yeah, it's
0: Yeah, like, it's like with the basement and how technically the rooms are connected, uh-huh. but you don't need to have done the basement yeah. to understand the courtyard or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to have... S- to be able to see that narrative progress. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's essentially, the the theme is that there is this famous art thief who you are agents trying to capture. And so you're trying to find out um, his identity. Mm -hmm. Um, You're trying to find out what his next hit is going to be, what he's going to steal. You're trying to find his um, address, his most recent address, and his license plate number. And then you take all that information and you're sending it in and they're going to issue a warrant for Mm -hmm. him. Um, so that's what you're trying to go through these puzzles. And what they do is they send you, when you order it, they send you an activation code and links. And what you can do is you follow these links and one takes you to a zip file that you can download with all the assets. Mm-hmm. The other takes you to like this virtual dashboard, essentially, where the videos play and you are prompted on what you're, what the story is and what you're supposed to do. Um, and then the dashboard also has access to all those files that you've downloaded I will say it's important that you download those files though because in some cases it's easier to view the um, actual pdf than it is to view the document in their dashboard yeah
0: because some of them you do have to zoom in a mm-hmm. little bit on them more than the dashboard would let you yeah so we kind of realized that probably a good five minutes after scratching our heads and like, <laughs> oh wait there's text there oh wait zoom in on that you yeah
1: know. Um, but I mean, it's really cool The The one thing that was kind of a little awkward at first was for whatever reason, when we first started it, the intro video kept wanting to play. Like, I would navigate to a different part of the dashboard and it would come up and try to play again. Yeah, that was a bit annoying. We were getting annoyed with it. But after we finished the first, like, major puzzle that you have to input information in, that that stopped, stopped, thankfully.
0: That, yeah, I mean, that's just a technological hiccup. Yeah. It doesn't really get in the way, just you have to keep closing the thing. But, like, anytime you're navigating from, like, this file to the main dashboard, the guy come up, like, agents, I'm so glad to see you. No. To do. Agents, I'm so glad to see- No. Like
2: Yeah, stop <laughs> Stop being glad to see me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the narrative of this one is a little bit weird too though, if you ask me, because the game master quotes, mm-hmm. who's giving you this narrative, right? He is a hacker who's like, We gotta find this information. But we ourselves are supposed to be hackers who are sifting through this information. Mm-hmm. So, like, why can't he do it? Like,
1: you
0: know. <laughs> it's kind of like he's delegating the work to us. That's yeah. so important to him.
1: <laughs> um, but I definitely thought, like, the dashboard that they've come up with was very, um, like, it was it was intuitive and easy to use, but also very, like, interesting and unique. And mm-hmm. um, it did feel like you were kind of in this computer dashboard with these links to different things. Um, yeah, it had a clean interface. You yeah. Know, nice kind of
0: blue theme to it. You know, uh-huh. I liked it. Um,
1: and also, one of the things I liked, which I think, in, in a way, I, we've done a lot of these kind of um, escape room in a box type at home mm-hmm. things. But I think I would prefer something like this to Definitely. the actual escape room in the boxes. Um, mainly because one of the other things it did is it also utilized things outside of the, the dashboard to help you. So, like, at one point, we had a picture that had the name of a, um, a library, and so we just did a Google search to find out where is that, and mm-hmm. that helped us that that was the clue then. But you know, you had to use Google to figure that out, there was nothing else within the documents that was, yeah, that told was that. that was
0: a fun little bit of like kind of metagaming that yeah. we did there. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then other ones of it is just going through the files and being like, here's a bunch of pictures. Do any of these stand out as something that has some kind of information that we could use, mm-hmm. you know, like at one point you see like an old newspaper clipping, a picture of Scrabble tiles, some dude on vacation. What does this all mean? Mm-hmm. You know, but like, as you go, wait a second now, wait a second, And then it kind of all comes together, you know, and in a very fun, interesting way that would be puzzles of a, of like the level of difficulty that would be in a good escape room
1: Uh-huh. you know yeah. so
0: because the thing is a lot of the escape room in a box some of the puzzles can be kind of i don't want to say the word mediocre but like of a mid to lower level difficulty you're like okay yeah this is like you're kind of toning it down because you don't know your audience
1: yeah and also for some reason i find a lot of those um escape room in the box too some of those puzzles are very like Who would ever think to do that? Did you guys play test this with anybody? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
0: And that's the problem because escape room in a box of cardboard thing, Mm -hmm. there is not really a good way yet that they've developed to do a hint system. Other than like, I mean, some people have developed like go to this website and ask for hints, you know? But here you're on a website. Mm -hmm. So if you do need a hint, there's a hint thing on the side there.
1: Yeah, and it kind of is like this little tier thing where you kind of go to your problem and it's like, okay, could you not figure this out? Did you not figure this out? Mm -hmm. And you could kind of like, break it down depending on what where your
0: area I is. I thought that was pretty smart because it doesn't have to be programmed well enough that it tracks your progress. Mm-hmm. It's just here's the like six different major puzzles you have to go through. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this?
1: Yeah and I mean it definitely shows like the they really looked at this and figured out okay here's here's where people are going to run into problems and mm-hmm. here's where that what they're going to identify as oh that's my my issue
0: yeah and so i think they you can tell that they clearly play test this a good amount to yeah. know here's where the problems are Here's the answers that we can give that don't absolutely give this away, mm-hmm. but can kick you in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and we had to use that once or twice for one of the puzzles just because mm-hmm. we were like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong.
1: Yeah, or I don't, I don't understand what what's expected of me mm-hmm. or how to work this kind of
0: thing. One other problem I had with it is there's one page you have to go to where you have to type in something onto the screen. However, the field which you're supposed to type into is invisible unless you've clicked on it. Yeah. Like there's no way to tell that it's there. Unless you happen to put your mouse over that space and click and then go, oh, well, now I can type.
1: Yeah. Well, it did. It showed up one of the times that we, because we kind of navigated to and from pages. Mm -hmm. One of the times we navigated to it, it showed up, but then it it stopped showing up. And so I thought it was like an issue or like a, it wasn't supposed to show up kind of thing. Like I thought maybe, oh, we just, it was random. The time it did show up, I thought that was a random error. There was one time that we kind of we knew what we were supposed to do, but we were a little afraid to do it because it required us to do something in the real world that, like, I wasn't sure if that was really what we were supposed to do. Right, and so it was like, I
0: let's let's check the hint system to make sure that's what they want us to do before we commit to this. Yeah. Otherwise, it, this could cause some real life troubles. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, the the I do think it's really interesting, and I do think it's kind of a neat thing because they don't have to do anything to this. It's you know, there's all, it's all pre-recorded. It's all preset. So yeah, you can easily just sell this for $10 for now into eternity. And I feel like it'll be there. And it's yeah, it's there. It's good. It's a product that, you know, you you don't have to charge a lot for it. Um, but it's available and easy for, easy for people to access. And like I said, because it was $10, that's why I was like, well, this is kind of a, like, you know, even if it's not great, like that, that's not a lot to ask. So I didn't feel bad at spending that money.
0: The other good thing about this game is that many of the puzzles require you to put in multiple inputs. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, because we already said this is about an art thief. in one of the puzzles, it's like you need to list the five major art pieces that he has stolen. And they gave you two to show you here's the pattern of information we're looking for. Uh-huh. You need to say the name of the painting. I think it was the museum it was from and the date that it was stolen or something mm-hmm. like that. And then you have this other information that tells you like like a dozen different paintings, but you only yeah. need three of those, right? What's great about this system though is when you put in something, if it's correct, the game will automatically gray it out and put a check mark next to it saying, yes, you got that correct. Uh-huh. If it's not correct, it won't do that. And we kind of realized that and that's, Good, because if it is a puzzle that you're absolutely stuck on, and you cannot figure out for some reason, technically speaking, you could, as we say, fill method in, just mm-hmm. randomly fill stuff in until you get it right, you yeah. know, which, I mean, you have to go through all the different permutations that mm-hmm. are available to you, but you're not going to be absolutely stuck, and I guess I'll never get past this, because to tell the truth, their hints are vague enough to get you in the right direction if you kind of get where they're getting at, but Even still, some of their hints, I was still scratching my head like, I I understand that that's English and I understand what those words mean, but I don't know what you're getting at, Mm -hmm. you know? So I can imagine some people reading all of the hints and still being like, I'm still not following what you are saying to me, Uh you know? So the fact that you can still just, okay, let's just go through it, you know, let's just go through every option until we stumble upon it. That is, it's a fail safe, but I like it, you Uh know? Like I would not recommend doing that because it takes the fun out of it. But I'm glad that that safety net is there for people who are just honestly stumped by this puzzle.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's one that it kind of encourages you to try a couple different options in order Mm -hmm. to figure out the pattern. Right. So, you know, yeah. But yeah, I think I I definitely I think the whole dashboard um, is a clever idea. Um, I think they used it well. I think the, the puzzles were good. You know, does it replace the feeling of a normal escape room? Not entirely, but it was still um, an enjoyable experience. And I think more so enjoyable than the, the box.
0: Right. This is the calamine lotion on the itch that yeah. I have for escape rooms. It's not as satisfying as scratching the itch, mm-hmm. but it's like soothing. Like, okay, I feel like I can go a little bit longer without needing yeah. to itch. And I will say um, this was especially fun for me because I always liked the idea of being the guy in the van. Who's mm-hmm. like researching stuff and giving the you know, the other people the information they need. So even though there was no other person necessarily giving this information to, it's still very satisfying. Plus the interface I liked. On the side, the guy gives you a list of like you need to get his real name, his address, his mm-hmm. his um, license plate, I think it was, you know? Yeah. And as you get those things, this little red light turns green to be mm-hmm. like progress made. And yeah. it's very kind of Skinner's box satisfying to be like, Ah, yes, yeah. I got those green well, lights. And
1: then also as you start f- figuring out those key bits of information, the the kind of host of it pops up in another video to be like the one time you find out his name and he pops up and he's like, really, that's his name? Right. Like, that's the dumbest name ever kind of thing. You Eugene? Know? Eugene. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it definitely, it's reacting to the stuff you're doing. And so it does have kind of that a more dynamic feel. Um, so what's also kind of neat about this is this is the one we did which is Heist Volume 1, Chasing Han, is only the uh, first volume of these at-home escape rooms that they have done. Um, they also have a Volume 2. Oh, we're going to have to get that. Um, Heist Volume 2, The Silk Road. And once again, um, only $10.
0: And I see here that if you get them both together, you save uh, you do. $3. Yeah,
1: it's only $17 to get a bundle.
0: Honestly, I'd recommend it. I mean, overall, I think these are a great buy. You mm-hmm. know, very enjoyable. Um, I, I say, yeah, I think... There is very little problems with this. Like there's a few problems with this game, like we uh-huh. said, but I think that the enjoyment you would get out of it far outweigh those, mm-hmm. you know? And like I said, definitely though, like, or like you said, download the PDFs mm-hmm. so that you can examine the artifacts better because it will help.
1: Yeah, yeah. At first I was like, oh, well, why did I even have to download that? Because they're all right here. But there's one in particular that you can't zoom in on and you need to zoom in on it. And mm-hmm. so if you actually have the PDF your life is going to be
0: way way easier also having multiple windows open helps being able to like because if yeah. you're if you're just in the dashboard clicking back and forth it's kind of annoying to be like uh-huh. uh, it says this not going to click back here uh so have multiple windows open up like be be willing to have like all the pictures of the pdfs in yeah. separate windows so you can click back and forth between them mm-hmm. oh and that was the other thing the other thing i do like slash dislike about this because it's kind of fitting but also annoying is they dump like seventy percent of all the puzzle pieces on you at the very beginning. Yeah, so you're and like, gonna so you sort know what to through do with what this. do I need. So yeah. when you start, it's gonna be very overwhelming. But once you start to get that traction, your path will be made clear. Yeah, and
1: it's it's one they don't be, I think the other thing is because there is no um kind of game master in the beginning telling you the rules or whatever, the one rule that they don't tell you but is the case is that you only need things once, kind of. So um, you don't really need to keep coming back to things over and over again. So it's kind of like once we would go through that, we would just close those windows and it would be done. So yeah, so we definitely um, would recommend the escape games. They call them uh, TEG, which obviously stands for escape games. The TEG Unlocked series. And they've got volume one and volume two of the heist. Or as we said, you can buy them um, bundled together for $17. Um, So we'd highly recommend doing that if you're trying to stay home and kind of keeping the escape room uh itch alive um i will say, don't keep the
0: itch alive that's not recommended (laughs) by your doctor
1: um you could do these with a group i think um you could probably share it over zoom and one person has to kind of do the controlling yeah um but you know also you could just do it at home on a single we just both looked at my computer i think that
0: this is the method in which you could share it online Mm -hmm. because if you download the files, then you can share that with your friends on their computers. And yeah. then everyone can go through their own thing. Mm-hmm. Because the one problem we've had about escape rooms in a box, literal box, uh-huh. is that there's only so many cards that you can have in front of your piece of paper. And typically those things are designed that there's only one puzzle you can work on at a time Mm -hmm. sequentially here. They do have a bit of a web where in stage one, you have to find three pieces of information, stage two, two more pieces of information, stage three, two more, you know, so like you can look at multiple things and try to tackle multiple puzzles at the same time. So especially with a group of like four people, you could have a good time.
1: Yeah. But, um, the one thing is there's not, not everything in the files that you download. Um, it's just the PDFs of like the pictures and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things like some of the videos and th- stuff. True. Sure. One of the things that they recommend—it actually talks about in the email—if you do want to do this with multiple players—is they recommend that your friends, all, who you know, your friends, as in maybe, you know, your friend Phil and Melissa are on a computer at a different location, that they also purchase it right. and have their own code so they can also be in the dashboard. That way you could be working on one thing, but they could be overwatching the And then the once you
0: get a thing, oh, the answer is parents. Yeah,
1: exactly. So you can still work together. Um, and I, you know... Having your friends each shell out ten bucks is way cheaper than it would be. Or if it's yeah, if it's two people
0: on that side, five each. You know. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly.
1: It's way cheaper than an actual escape room would do.
0: Exactly, because an actual escape room nowadays the average price is going to be like thirty five dollars a person. Mm-hmm. Come on. Like... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely there's kind of the cheap way you could do it, um, or you guys could all each get your own activation code and kind of work together. Um, which is kind of cool too, being like, we're all on the computer at different locations. I like and it. <laughs> I definitely like know, it. You know, the only thing you don't really have is necessarily the being able to do physical interactions with things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what helps is having that ability to go out to the internet and have to look things up and have to use your, you know, intuition like... Oh, if we Google this, that will tell us what that location is.
0: So overall, I think we're giving this uh, two thumbs way, way up Mm -hmm. to Cisco and Ebertus. Not that we (laughs) ever had before. So that was the escape game, T-E-G, digital. Yes. All right. So that was a fun little digital escape that we had. But now let's go back and join Matt with the Friday Favorites Corner. So Matt, you are the guest, so I will let you go first if you want. What is your Friday favorite?
2: So recently I have been rediscovering uh, my love of video games through my son. And uh, we have been playing a lot of Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, uh, which is essentially the original Pokemon games from when we had Game Boys, uh, redone on the Switch, and he has a special controller that is a, a Pokeball. Uh, that interacts with the screen, and then he can use that to actually play Pokemon Go uh, on my phone. And he's gotten my wife back into Pokemon. She's been walking around at lunch when she's in the office catching Pokemon and like sending me pictures to show him. Um, So it's been a lot of fun because it's, it's encouraging my son to kind of explore a little bit more because we go outside, we take the Pokeball for a walk or if we're playing Pokemon Go, it's all around us, obviously. Um, but it's also really nostalgic for me because it's Pokemon. Like he, he, he's running around grabbing Pikachus and Bulbasaur. And I'm like, these are the ones that I remember when I was a kid. So I've been having a lot of fun uh, with that and specifically watching him discover and try to learn how to strategize, how to play against certain types of Pokemon and a gym leader that has fire Pokemon. What kind of Pokemon does he want to bring in with him? It's just been a ton of fun.
0: That's awesome. And you said there's like an actual Pokeball that he uses to interact with. How does that work? I've just, I haven't heard of that.
2: Yeah. So uh, we, uh, my, my wife's favorite store is Target. And so that should tell you a lot about my family. Um, (laughs) We, we went there because they had a sale. Uh, It's a, it's a, basically it's a little Pokeball. It's uh, like rubber, but it had, it's a controller, uh, like a switch Joy-Con controller. In that, but it's shaped like a Pokeball, and it really only has two buttons. It has a top button that you can press, and then it has a a thumbstick that doubles as a button, and then if you shake it, that acts as a third button. So you can actually play the entire game with just this Pokeball because you control with the joystick where, where the person's going. You click the joystick, and it interacts with whatever's in front of him. The top button on top of the Pokeball is the cancel button, and then when you get into a situation, the only difference between... Uh, this Pokemon and the one that we played on Game Boy is that when you encounter a Pokemon in the wild, you're not fighting it. You're immediately trying to catch it like it's Pokemon Go. So there is um, some gyros inside of, the, um, inside of the Pokeball that you can pretend to throw the Pokeball and it'll gauge where it would go on the screen and you can actually throw the Pokeball on the screen using the, a throwing motion. Um, Oh, that's amazing. It's really cool. It's really cool. And then it acts as a pedometer as well. So that way you can uh, take your Pokemon for a walk and go get your steps
0: in. So, how many TV screens have you gone through since your kids been throwing it at the at the TV?
2: I will say mm-hmm. this: uh, the designers of this particular controller were extremely smart because not only did they put one of those little wrist guards on it that that you have to put, okay. like on <laughs> uh, but they also put a uh, a ring that you put on your your ring finger. So that way, if like the ring fails, then you go to the strap, and if the strap fails, you still have the ring. Like it's a double hard. It's a double. Uh, <laughs> So, That's no, nice because then, do you not have to give your kid your phone
1: like is he kind of just using the pokeball
2: so he's using the pokeball for when he plays on the switch um and then he doesn't necessarily need the phone when we go on a walk with the pokeball because it, mm-hmm. it will read that it's with my phone and he could just basically click it click the button and it'll catch the pokemon but we'll still when we're out and uh, out and about and walking We'll still uh, pull the phone out and have him stop at poke stops and try and uh, catch anything that shows up on the screen just because it's a little more interactive that way for him and gives him a little mm-hmm. bit more of a, of a feeling of being involved with it.
1: I'm just thinking because like my so my nephew, he just turned six, I believe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, he's getting into Pokemon. It's kind of funny because he wanted all these books about Pokemon, but he can't read yet. <laughs> um, but he he looks at them and stuff. But um, you know, I, th- I think he wants to. He would love to play some of these things. But I know there's. They don't really like him to have a lot of screens and give him their phone. They also had an incident where the youngest um, got a hold of uh, her. The one time she gave him um, the phone to look at during the dentist visit, he um, figured out how to go in and order himself a hamburger on um, Doordash. Amazing. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, three. <laughs> he bought a $15 hamburger on <laughs> hey, That's Good work. <laughs> so, like, it would be nice to have something where, like, yeah, maybe they can show him the phone and stuff like that, but they're not constantly giving him the phone um, to be able to play these games.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing for, for us was just that um, with Pokemon, it's a lot of reading. And now that he's he's reading, and he's reading at a pretty good level because uh, he's seven, Um, and he like now it makes sense. It's easier for him because he doesn't need me to read everything to him. Um, so that makes it easier to like play the game here on the television. But as far as the Pokemon Go portion of it goes, yeah, it that you know, I'd be willing to bet that a six year old could handle it because it's not a lot of reading in that situation. It's just walking around Mm -hmm. catching Pokemon. Um, but the Pokemon definitely make it a little easier in that scenario
0: as well. How are you going, what's your Friday favorite?
1: Um, you know, okay, so this isn't something that we've played recently, and there's a reason why we haven't played it recently. And that is the game Sushi Go. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: the reason we haven't played it recently is because Sushi Go always makes me crave sushi. (laughs) And we can't go out to any sushi restaurants right now. Is this a bad Um, thing
2: that I ordered sushi last night? uh, Well, that's that's,
1: that's what I'm, I'm kind of thinking is that, you know, one of the things that we've always kind of said is, wouldn't it be fun to play this while eating sushi, but we're not necessarily going to take it with us to a sushi restaurant. I would. I know you would <laughs> um but you know I, as much as I've been like okay well as soon as this is over we are going to go get sushi you know it just keeps happening so I think we're going to probably have to break down and order some sushi soon and play sushi go
0: and eat sushi while we play sushi when go sushi I play you sushi only go. get to eat what you pick up for the card right
1: we'll
0: see okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, like you know, we
1: have, yeah we have um well, we've recently, if you've been following us on Instagram, you'll know we um, kind of cleaned up our game shelves a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we're also going through and cataloging all of our games and kind of making some decisions off if there's any games that we, you know, we don't really see us Replaying anytime soon, and maybe want to get rid of. And you kind of questioned whether or not we wanted to get rid of. We have both Sushi Go and Sushi Go Party. Yeah. And you were like, "Can we get rid of like just the regular Sushi Go?" And no, we cannot get rid of
0: the Sushi Go. Sushi Go Party has everything Sushi Go has.
1: But the benefit of Sushi Go is it's small and portable, and you can take with you.
0: And that's a good point. Yes. That's an excellent point.
1: And it's adorable. And eventually, I will get the little glass figurines that go with it. Oh yeah. How about you, Greg? What is your Friday
0: favorite right now? Uh, my Friday favorite is one of our more recent acquisitions. We haven't had a chance to break it out too much, but I'm looking forward to playing it again. And that would be Quirky Circuits. Ah, yes. Because I like that because kind of like how Matt said, um, social deduction is a fun game. Mm-hmm. And that one, you're kind of deducing what the other person intends with their card. Yeah. Because you can put a card down and it just tells me that it's going to turn or it's going mm-hmm. to move, but I have to try to deduce. What would you think would be an appropriate card to put down? What could that be? And what are the possibilities for where this goes based upon what I put down? So it's a lot of kind of reading the other person, but with no communication. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fun. Just like how I think Mysterium's fun, how the ghost is not allowed to talk, but just only give you cards to tell you that, oh, it's the nun, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, Corky Circuits, technically, it's kind of a kid's game in a way, Mm -hmm. Um, which, I mean, it's hard even as an adult. But I can definitely see the benefit of where it kind of teaches kids, okay, pay attention to like, there's only so many of these kind of cards and what has already been played and kind of that, that deduction of, okay, well, logically all of these, there's only so many of these turn cards. We know so many have already been played. So this must be this kind of card. Right.
0: I would love to play that eventually with three or four players even, mm-hmm. you know, cause that'd be really fun. Like, oh yeah, gosh, what does definitely. she have? What could he have possibly had, you know? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, it's cute because it's, it's all about um, these, like, different little robots mm-hmm. that are going around performing tasks. So, like, the one is a cat riding a Roomba, and it's going around picking up dust bunnies. Yeah. Um, our, the one we've been playing the most recently is the the bee who is delivering seed packets to certain areas. And each robot has kind of its own little thing. Like, the bee, he can sometimes get, like, a charge and keep going or and things like that um but if he stops you know this happens and things like
0: that it's it's fun how it slowly ramps up the difficulty yeah
1: exactly yeah so (laughs) I, i hate to think what the next robot's going to be oh we know there's a couple we haven't played yet i'm looking forward to playing the little kitchen robot
0: I want to play the dog one that digs up bones. Yeah. Like, eventually, like, oh, he hit a water pipe. Now the city's going to have to come out and fix it.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, that's a, that's from our plaid hat favorites. And they have adorable little miniatures that I can't wait to paint. But I've been able to paint Yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I was oh, waiting. And they are very cute. Right. they're they're up on the level of um the stuff fable ones we painted so i'm yeah. looking forward to
0: painting those uh, but i think that just about wraps us up for mm-hmm. this uh friday game night thank you very much for joining us this time matt we appreciate having you
1: i appreciate you inviting me and matt tell our listeners where they can find Mortal combat
2: yeah of course uh so you can find us uh on any social media platform at moral combat pod uh just like mortal combat without the t Uh, And you also can find us at our website, which is www.MoralCombatPod.com. We'd love to have you guys, uh, any of any of your listeners, give us a listen, give us a follow on Facebook, vote, have your voice be heard. Uh, we love to, we'd we love to have your guys' opinion a, a part of our new podcast.
1: Music for this episode is Make a Rest by TwinMusic.com. You can find us anywhere podcasts are available. However, rates and reviews on iTunes are appreciated it helps new listeners find our podcast. We can be found at Game Friday on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Come talk games. Today.
0: Thanks for listening and goodbye. Say goodbye, Matt.
1: Bye-bye.